My name is Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with talented and interesting individuals linked to the global Indian and South Asian community. It's informal and informative, adding insights to our evolving cultural expressions, where each person can proudly say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Hi, everyone. On this episode, we share a conversation with doubles tennis champion Rajiv Ram. Stay tuned. So the other day I went for a run with a work buddy. I actually was kind of dreading it because as soon as I took a few strides, I realized how badly out of shape I'd become. But I also knew that just by staying consistent, on pace, and mindful of speed and stamina, that I'd be able to finish a 5K run that day. And once I did, I actually felt great. It was a small thrill, sure, but an affirmation of what I could still accomplish. And speaking of small thrills and affirmations, thank you so much for listening to this and for sharing it with your friends and family for rating, downloading, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and for following us on the socials at Dr. Abhaydandekar. Now normally, while the explosive starburst of talent and achievement is a very celebrated and popular highlight, finishing that run made me appreciate the beauty and joy of a more sustained, blossoming accomplishment that generates energy, wisdom, and momentum as part of a long tale of achievement. And in some ways, it's an apt model to describe professional tennis player Rajiv Ram, Rajiv is a native of Colorado, who grew up in Indiana playing tennis with his dad as a kid. He was a junior tour and college tennis star, winning an Indiana State Singles Championship and helping to win an NCAA College Tennis Championship at Illinois. Rajiv turned pro in 2004, and for the next 13 years, journeyed through the professional tour with the highlights of winning two singles titles, getting to a Grand Slam doubles final, and earning a silver medal in the Olympics. He retired from singles play in 2017 to focus on doubles and team tennis. Since then, Rajiv has been a five-time Grand Slam champion, winning mixed doubles twice and men's doubles once at the Australian Open, and winning the last two US Open men's doubles championships with his partner, British tennis pro Joe Salisbury. He's been active with the U.S. Davis Cup team this fall, and after nearly two decades since turning pro, this past October, Rajiv was the number one ranked doubles tennis player in the world. We caught up recently to chat and share a conversation about his journey, about preparation and practice, and about reflections on his achievements. But I started with a much more important thought question to ask him. I have to ask you, do you ever dream about tennis and wake up sort of going, oh my God, what just happened? Wow, that's a good question. Yeah, I actually do. Um, funnily enough, is you know, you would think after all these years of playing so much and all that, maybe I would try and you know shy away from it, like suppress sleep, all of that. No, right? <laughs> yeah, but no, it doesn't happen. I I still do dream about it, which I guess is a good thing because it means that I'm still uh, I'm still as interested maybe as ever. But uh, yeah. I do still dream about it. Absolutely. I'm curious. I mean, so like when when you actually are either falling asleep or, or waking up or, you know, those kind of quiet moments where you're like, oh, this is exactly what I should be doing with my with my volley or, or do you ever get those sort of moments of clairvoyance where you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I just unlocked the secret to what I've been doing wrong. I definitely know what you're talking about. It probably doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, I feel like it's more just like, you know, for me, anytime it's just, it's just the thought of hitting a ball, thought of running, thought of moving, thought of playing, but it's not like any of those situations where it's like, Oh, that one 
thing is going to, you know, like that one swing thought. And maybe that's good because I feel like sometimes <laughs> those things are are fleeting because it works for five days and then it doesn't work anymore. Right, so right. Uh, hopefully it's a little bit more ingrained than than that. But it's it honestly, for me, it's just more the the idea of playing or the the feeling of it. Yeah. That's the yeah, that's the thing that, that gets me going. Does the feeling of it, is that something that in some ways takes time to develop? I mean, especially for younger players who go through a lot of the at least initial training with coaches and academies and that kind of thing. Does it take time and sort of patience to really get to that point where you're just going on instinct and the feel of things? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've heard a lot of these things about like, you know, 10,000 hours and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I feel like, you know, I, th I think that there's an innate feeling that you you have one in this case when you're hitting a tennis ball that is is pretty special but i think in order to kind of make that repetitive and and to be there all the time it, it does it does take time it does take practice it does take you know it's it sounds maybe cliche but it is just that repetition that you keep going yeah. over and over and over again that makes it ingrained to the point where it's it's just always there or it, it's there most of the time do you feel sort of either and I, I, I've heard different answers to this kind of thought or question, but do you ever feel in some ways incomplete or sort of naked without the tennis racket nearby? I mean, like, do you have a tennis racket in your car at all times? And... Yeah, I do, but not for that reason. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a tennis racket in the car all the time just because if there's ever a situation where I need it for whatever reason it's there, um, it's an old racket, but it's not something that I use normally, but no, you know, I used to actually feel more that way. I used yeah. to feel more like uh, not having a racket around made me feel like it was in, I was incomplete, but now I, I feel like as I've gotten older, maybe, maybe it's just a maturation. Maybe it's just realizing there's more to life than just tennis. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like I have no problem putting my rackets in, in the room, the other room and, and not looking at them for a couple of weeks. Like right. I got no problem with that. So it's, uh, it's almost a helpful thing for me to push them away a little bit because yeah. then when I do get back to playing, I, I have a bit of excitement and a bit of enthusiasm and all that. So it's not like it's got to be there all the time. Does that time period sort of away from the racket and away from the court, is that sort of uh, restorative? Is it sort of like charging your battery a little bit? Yeah, completely. I mean, a lot of a lot of the things that I focus on nowadays are, are more of that, you know, uh, making sure my energy is good, making sure when I do compete, I have a full tank of gas. And yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, play on fumes or anything like that. And I think uh, those breaks are very, very important, both mentally and physically. You know, for someone who's been playing for, you know, now a long time, 30 plus years. Yeah. Are there any quirks or superstitions or rituals from when you first picked up a racket that you still kind of rely on that still are part of your like process um you know as i've gotten older i've tried to rely less on rituals and things because you know especially superstitions because i just feel like ultimately it doesn't you know really have the effect on you know outcomes and and how you play and all that but i feel like there's a there's a definite importance to having things that you can control that you do. So I, I think for me, it's more just like going back to the basics of what tennis is for me. You know, for me, I, I'm quite good with my eyes. I have a good eye for the game and an eye for the ball. So like if I'm struggling at all, you know, really focusing on watching the ball is an important thing for me. I mean, it sounds, it sounds so, you know, basic and, and whatever, but genuinely that's something that I think about all the time on the court is, okay, I got to watch the ball. I got to watch my opponent hit it. I got to watch across the net. I got to watch it bounce on my side and I got to watch 
me hit it. And, right. you know, if I really pay attention to that, that's how I usually play my best or right. hit the ball the best. So um, it's not really a superstition or a ritual. It's definitely not a superstition. It's not really a ritual, but it's maybe just a focal point that that's been there since I, you know, remember playing tennis. Right. I mean, it's not like, hey, you know, my signature is to bounce it only three times when I'm serving yeah. or like, you know, I tape my racket a certain way or, or that kind of thing. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So things like that, I've kind of shied away from a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I've kind of really tried to focus more on these more. I I feel like they're more tangible things. You know. Are there Are there Do you know players who who do? I wouldn't say rely on it, but like it's a part of their kind of process that makes the iteration and the practice and the preparation actually just it's another nuance or quirk to it. Oh yeah. There's players all all over the place that you know they'll only shower in the same shower they'll only you know like use the same toilet or they'll you know put their you know rackets a certain way in the bag or yeah. you know whatever it whatever it might be i mean there are all of these things that that go on and i'm not saying anything that's wrong you know anything that can kind of get yeah. you in a better headspace is yeah. good but i feel like sometimes for me it just got a little exhausting to to always have to do that and then all of a sudden you know you it, it, you do all those things and it still doesn't work you know, then you're like, well, what happened? Now I got to think of a whole new set of, you know, quirks. You got to, go I was going to say, yeah. there's a reinvention of the ritual itself. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're listening to trust me. I know what I'm doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with us open men's doubles champion, Rajiv Ram. Stay tuned. Conversation. It's the antidote to apathy and the catalyst for relationships. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians, so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, I'm actor Sway Bhatia, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with Abhay Dandekar. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation now with tennis champion Rajiv Ram. You've had so much early success in tennis, and and I imagine that that was at a time where there really weren't a whole lot of American players of color, and yeah. but but you used to play with your dad every day, and and what were some of those kind of early lessons and motivations that you you sort of took away from those those days and those times? What do you remember, perhaps you know, being some of the drivers for you early on when there may or may not have been a whole lot of role models that that looked like you or played like you so basically tennis started out for me as a more or less just a father-son activity you yeah. know i mean i i was an active kid growing up i didn't enjoy video games i didn't enjoy sitting in, at home or inside and I, I wanted to be outside and play sports and so you know whether it was you know growing up in america it was football or baseball or um you know anything like that and i, I happened to just be a little bit better at tennis yeah. than than the other ones you know i just yeah it just came more naturally to me so we lived in an apartment at the time and my dad would, you know, there's a, a court in the complex and my dad would come home from work and he would take me out and we would hit balls. And this started when I was, gosh, three years old. I don't actually remember the first time I played tennis, you know, it was, I was so young. So, and, and it kind of just ended up being our thing. You know, I, I yeah. loved it. He, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but now I, I can appreciate how much effort that took on his part, but he, yeah, we would do it basically every day. And then, um, that, went on until I was about 12 years old. Uh, we moved around a little bit, but um, yeah, until I was about 12 years old, you know, it was just me and him that would play. Um, yeah. So it wasn't really like a, you know, I, I loved watching. I loved, you know, I loved watching players, I loved watching professional tennis on TV. 
you know, I kind of grew up in the time just about when, when there was some, you know, great American men tennis players on tour. So, you know, I had that to look up to, but it was a weird one to not really have anyone that looked like me in the mix for sure. I I, I will say that. When did you at some point get that sort of sense that, you know, inherently in yourself, knowing that like, Hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I have, I have some skill. Uh, I'm pretty good. You know, is it just like when you first start winning or is there some sense of confidence that develops even before that? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, like I, I always, I guess I kind of felt like this isn't that hard, you know, for me to do, like I could do, I can do this skill or play this game you know, I can make it, it feels like it looks a lot, it feels like it's a lot easier to me than I see what it looks like for other people. So that's one thing, you know, and then, yeah, then you start playing, I started playing tournaments a little bit and like, yeah, I started winning and winning quite easily. And, you know, I think I got to be about maybe 13, 14 years old when, you know, I started winning a lot locally and even quite a lot nationally. And so I was like one of the better players in the US for my age. And I was like, wow, that's a bit you know, it's a bit crazy to think about. It didn't really, wasn't really supposed to happen like that. Um, But then, yeah, you start to real, I started to realize like I was, I was okay, but it never really dawned on me that, oh, this is gonna be my career. You know, it was just like, oh, I'm, I'm okay at this. And, you know, my, my parents were always kind of at the thought process that, you know, tennis could lead to more educational opportunities or better educational opportunities, which they were absolutely right. I, I was able to kind of have my pick of going to whichever college I wanted to, not because of my, my academics, but much more because of my athletics. And, sure. and that was the case for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and in that way, with that, like sort of building at, at some point, because of, you know, and certainly growing up in, in the Midwest, I would imagine that the Indian American community probably, you know, lent some part of your cultural identity. Did, did you ever think of yourself as an Indian American athlete or, or rather just an, I'm an American athlete who happens to be Indian? Yeah, probably more of the latter. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an American athlete that happens to be Indian until I was a bit older. And and then I, I really, you know, after I kind of got to college and a little bit after, I really sort of gravitated towards what you said before, whereas I'm, I'm an Indian American athlete because simply because I just, I couldn't, I, I realized how few of them, of us there are around, you know, yeah. in, in all these capacities. And, you know, I, I, I'm basically the only tennis player you know, and for, for the fact that Indians or Indian Americans play so much tennis, I'm, I'm kind of the only one that really has made a, a, a let's say, a longstanding career out of, sure. out of tennis. And um, so I kind of now I've kind of taken a lot of pride in the fact that, that I, I really hope that that I'm not the only one that remains to be that way, because I yeah. feel like there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of potential there for there to be you know, many more people like me. But uh, yeah, as a kid growing up in the Midwest, you I, I saw myself as this American athlete who who happens to be Indian, and then it, and then it changed a bit when I when I got to travel the world a little bit more and yeah. you know kind of maybe a little bit yeah mature a little bit get in touch with my own culture and heritage a bit more. Tell me, did you ever was part of that? So part of that definitely is recognizing that there's perhaps even a little bit of a role for that. There's uh, certainly you're you're just opposing yourself against all the other tennis players who are out there, not just you know domestically but globally. But then on top of that, do you ever feel like there there was sort of a, hey, I'm sort of the other? Was there ever any marginalizing in that way that sort of, in some ways, kind of forced you to embrace that identity a little bit? You know what it was really more is that when I started to play on tour as a professional, yeah. and, and even a little bit in college, like you see, I saw other 
players from India, actually. Yeah. And I realized that I have so much in common with these people because not only do we share the same, I mean, I'm only a first generation, right? My parents yeah. are, are from India, so it's not like it's that far back at all. Yeah. But, you know, um, I have so much in common with these people because they are, they look like me. They have all of the same cultural backgrounds as me. And not only that, they play tennis, which that was the, that was the kicker that I didn't find so much in, in, in America was another Indian person who was as interested in the sport as I was, but now all of a sudden, you know, here they are. So that sort of was what it was that led me to realize that I was probably a lot more like them than I was like some of the people that I actually grew up around and and with not, not in a bad way. Just, that's just how it was, you know? What is that, you know, now that you've sort of not only just embraced that, but there's a, maybe some responsibility to that. What, what does that responsibility sort of feel like in 2022 as an Indian American athlete? It feels like I would love to give the next generation sort of the, somebody to look up to and someone to look at that I, I probably didn't ever have. Um, I feel like I know what that would have meant to me to, at 12 years old or 13 years old to say, <laughs> oh, look, there's so-and-so on the professional tennis tour or the professional golf tour or whatever it is that's, you know, just like me that, you know, has all of these same you know attributes and cultural traits. And now they're playing a sport at, at a high level and a professional level, level and being successful. And I know what that would have been like for me. I would have taken a whole lot of stock in that. And I would have, I would have taken a whole lot of inspiration from that. And so I feel like that's part of the deal is it, if I can do that to even one, it's, uh, it, it's worth it for sure. I want to ask ask you and talk about something that's very unique to you. When did you sort of realize that your love and your passion and having a particular skill set for doubles tennis was was almost sort of realized? Um, so you you basically start playing tennis to be a singles player and as a singles player, right? And that was what my career was from when I turned pro to until about 2016 17 and then i got to the point where i I remember it very clearly in 2016 i I had a pretty good year in singles and doubles both and i played i think over 100 matches and i was also turned 32 that year and i was like okay i i I stopped i remember the last match of the season and i was like another one of these years and that's probably it for me like my body just can't handle it and you know i always knew that I'd never gave doubles a, a full shot. I wasn't a good enough player like some of these guys are to play singles fully and then, you know, just, you know, win doubles, grand slams and be top in the world. I wasn't yeah. good enough for that. I needed to work at it a bit more. Um, so I, I kind of had a decision to make. It was like, okay, another one of these years and maybe that's it. Or, or do I really give doubles a, a full shot? So I kind of toyed around with it, but halfway through the next year in 2017, I was like, okay, this is, this is about it. Like I need to, you know, make this decision. And I just decided, uh, yeah, pretty quickly that singles was going to be it. No, that was going to be it for my singles. And, and I was going to focus on doubles and, and really see how good I could get. Cause I felt like I was, it was a bit untapped for me. Do you have to, in some ways, completely reinvent yourself or is it just a, a slight sort of steering or tweaking to get away from that? Because I, I imagine that you have to have a, a completely different or a separate stream of commitment to trust and synchronized instinct and, and chemistry when it comes to, to playing doubles. Yeah, I don't think it's completely reinventing because it's not like I didn't play doubles, you know, my whole career. Sure. I, I did play, but it's not like it's not like it was totally foreign. But what was foreign is the fact that now it's, tennis became a team sport all of yeah. a sudden. You know, and like I, I, I have the responsibility to help another player on my team because that's going to help me. And also, 
I have the responsibility to let them help me, which is a really weird thing in tennis because we don't have coaches. We don't have, you know, like you're not allowed to do any of that. It's, it's just you, you, you are out there completely by yourself in singles. And all of a sudden now I have a partner that, you know, geez, if he plays better, it makes my job easier. And, (laughs) and, and I have somebody that can actually help me, you know, instantaneously if I allow them in. So that was the sort of toughest part was realizing that this has gone beyond just hitting the ball now. And it's, it's gone to like a a team sport experience, which is something I never really did so much as, as a kid or definitely not as an adult. Why, why is that such the reverse process where, you know, people starting, is it just simply because you have to become a master at the skill itself of singles tennis, or is it such a, well, we just don't have a, a real platform for doubles to blossom in a separate lane, perhaps. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question. I, I don't actually know the answer to that. Yeah. And I think I feel like I see it shifting a little bit in the sense that there's players. It's it's almost been always before, like, okay, if you're good enough, you'll just play singles because that's where, you know, more of the recognition is. If you're a professional, more of the money is, more of the accolades, all, all of that, you know? Yeah. But what I see happening now a lot is players that, I don't know if they know they're not good enough. That's a bit harsh, but maybe they think that they don't quite have what it takes in singles are specializing in thinking about doubles from a very young age, even, even like pre-professional, even like junior age kids, you know, and they're realizing that if they get some of these things right earlier on, they have such a leg up on a lot of the players playing doubles on the professional tour. So I see it shifting a little bit. I don't know if it's going to ever be completely that way, but I do see people thinking about being doubles players way earlier than than when I was, you know, coming up. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with US Open men's doubles champion Rajiv Ram. Stay tuned. Every story told is a lesson learned, and every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, everyone. My name is Tam France, and you are listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation now with tennis champion Rajiv Ram. You know, with that especially for you, you've had some major tournament success as a winner at the Australian and US Open. And, you know, it's all come in your mid thirties. And mm-hmm. I mean, in, in a sport that contrastingly in the singles world ha- has so much concentration of talent in, in players who are so much younger, as you reflect on that a little bit, what, what have been maybe some of the drivers for your own sense of longevity for that matter? I think, first of all, just the way that I was brought up into tennis, it was never somebody pushing me it was always my choice so it's yeah. always I've never I've never lost that desire to try and improve and try and be better and try and you know try and you know what's the next thing I can figure out you know so I've never really lost that desire so I think that's one thing it's a, an emotional mental longevity that sometimes takes more of a toll than the physical one yeah. um then the, the, the physical side of it too like I said I kind of realized whenever it got to the point where my body was feeling like it could break down. I, I, I really didn't like that feeling. So I pulled away from it and said, what can I do to change this? Do I, do I take a break? I was never afraid of, you know, long breaks or, or anything like that. You know, if I, if I felt like I needed it. So I feel yeah. like, and, and there's also a bit of luck involved in that too. I've never had a knock on what a serious injury that's required yeah. a, a surgery or a long time out or, or anything like that. So 
I think it's it's a lot of those things. And then the last thing is I just think I'm a bit of a late bloomer in general. You know, I mean, sure. it takes me a little while to, to figure it out. Um, you know, I didn't break the top 100 in singles until I was 25, which is pretty late. I didn't, yeah. like you said, do all these things in doubles until my, you know, uh, early to mid 30s. And, um, you know, I've, I've got a strange record. I have played the most grand slams of anyone ever to play tennis before winning one. Wow. Which uh, yeah. it was fit, fit, I won I won the Australian Open in 2020 on my 58th Grand Slam, which is a record, which I didn't even realize was the case until somebody told me that. But yeah, so like it, things have always taken me a little bit longer for whatever reason. As someone who's in some ways this sort of late bloomer, and you've seen success more towards you know on the longer side uh, of your journey, um, do you now knowing that do you, does it force you in some ways, or do you rethink? how to prepare or practice do you, do you prepare or practice differently now than when you were first you know a tennis professional very differently yeah it, it's a lot about preserving i would say yeah more so and not not exerting too much making sure that i leave every practice wanting to practice more yeah. is sort of the theory that i go by i don't want to leave the practice court saying geez that's everything i got and i don't want to come back you know yeah. I, I, it's okay to leave you know, a match court doing that or a tournament, you know, when it's like that was the end of a stretch and now I have a break and I don't want to play tennis for a while and that, that's okay. But I, I, I try very hard to never leave a practice court that way and always wanting wanting to practice more because then it means I'll, I'll want to come back the next day or two days later or whatever and, and it'll, it'll still be fresh. So that's sort of a, a way that I, I do it. Whereas when I was a kid, it's it's sort of like you, you want to maybe push yourself to uh, further limits of that mm. because – yeah, you, you have the energy to, to be able to do that, but but now it's not the case anymore. I saw that you're on the, the U.S. Davis Cup team and, and you beat your partner, Joe Salisbury, yeah. recently. <laughs> How'd that go over? <laughs> that was one of the more interesting experiences because, look, we, we played a semi of the U.S. Open on Thursday, finally U.S. Open on Friday. We, all, we both left for Scotland on Saturday. The next day, we were on a plane to Scotland. And our first match is against Great Britain. So now I got to play my partner. It's a live match. That means that there's two singles before the doubles. We split the singles. So like it comes down to the doubles. We're playing in Scotland, which for all the tennis fans out there is Andy Murray's home country, yeah. hometown, literally. So there's 9,000 people watching this match. And I'm and now I'm playing my partner who I just won the US Open with three days before, you know. It was it was wild, but we we you know we put it aside. We actually had a chat about it the day before, saying, "Look, let's go out there, let's compete as hard as we can. Whatever happens, happens." You know, no, and that's what we did. It ended up being about a three-hour match that that came down to the very end, and and my partner and I ended up winning it for our country. And it was it was a yeah crazy emotional experience, though I will say. With Dave, I mean, obviously the the sort of very very sense of import that you have in playing your your doubles partner, but. You know, when you're playing Davis Cup and especially as sort of a double specialist, if you is there just a different joy to team tennis than, you know, that's just separate from the individual side? Totally different. Yeah. I mean, the, the I've played on a team four times in my in my tennis career, it was high school, college and then the Olympics and now Davis Cup. And yeah. so it's like it's a totally different feeling when you play for something that's yeah bigger than yourself and more you know you play for your teammates in this case you play for your country it's, it's just a lot different pressure yeah. uh, it's it's a it's a one that i really really enjoy and i will do my best to never say no to the opportunity to play in that arena because it's something that it's it's so unique for me as a tennis player i wonder if that same unique uh joy or that same sort of spirit that you get from team tennis i wonder if that lends itself at all 
to being a better observer of the game. And for that matter, you know, as a as a kind of student of it, does it lend itself to the experience of coaching at all for you? Maybe. Yeah. And I think I think when you when you pay attention that much, um, so much of tennis, especially at the highest of, of levels, is is about that sort of you know energy that you can bring to the court and the and the mindset that you have. Because I mean it when you're talking about the best players in the world, I mean everyone hits forehands and backhands just fine. Right. You know, it's not really it's not really about that. It's about who can sort of get themselves in the right frame of mind to produce what they can in the in the right moments, you know? And I think in those team atmospheres, you can really affect that, not only on the court for the other players, but off the court. You can provide hopefully a, a good environment to, you know, for everyone to feel comfortable and feel happy and feel like they can bring their best to the court. So I think yeah, as a, as a as a teammate, you can also affect the outcomes of of those matches even without hitting a tennis ball. You know, so like you said, like at that highest level, the the actual twists on the game are probably a little bit more. Uh, they're just so nuanced, and when yeah. you're actually watching these things in real time, you have a front row seat to all of this. Is it somewhat difficult to not put your own personal experience in there and say like, you know, well, I've tried that, but it hasn't really worked. You know, how, how do you sort of, you know, process some of that, especially when you're when the talent level is just that high? Yeah, I mean, I think each individual is, is just that, that we're all we are also individual, you know, yeah. and I think if I just try to put myself in those shoes and it's like if someone's out there telling me, you know, that this is how you should do it, I would probably shy away from that. But if you get yeah. into a conversation with some of these folks, some of these guys on the team about, you know, what are you thinking and what are you feeling? And then you can be like, okay, well, you know, there was one point in my career, this match, I felt like this and this is what I did and it worked. I think that can be quite beneficial. But yeah. if, you know, if you don't kind of have that sort of lead up to it and make it about the player more in that situation, if I'm the one that's not playing, I think it could be a little detrimental. But that's how I, I feel like I take advice the best is if someone says, okay, what do you, you know, how do you feel in this moment? What are you thinking? What do you, what do you, what are you feeling like? What are you playing like? And then they say, okay, well, you know, this happened to me one time and this is how I dealt with it. And it worked out pretty well, or, or it didn't work out pretty well. You know, yeah. that is, that rings true a bit more because they're, they're actually taking an interest on you. They're not just sort of shoving their own experience on you without sort of that um, lead up, if you will. And with, and with the team aspect of things, is there just a completely, not completely, but is there just a different sense of competition and drive and sort of like that killer instinct that is just not necessarily the same as with, you know, pure singles competition. Yeah, I think for sure, especially in these situations like with Davis cup or, or the Olympics and they all, that was happened so rarely, you know, like yeah. we play individual tournaments, even, even in doubles, but it's my partner and I, it's still, it's just for us, right. It's just right. for us or our group of our team, if you will. But um, you know, they happen, you know, every week we play 20 tournaments a year or whatever. These these competitions happen. Olympics is once every four years. And Davis Cup is, yeah. you know, once a year. You know, it's, it's it's one competition a year that goes on. So it's it's also some of that, that it happens so so infrequently that when you are in that arena, it, it means that much more because it's not it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. By the way, have you ever had the elements or the ingredients from your own experiences that perhaps make you more poised? to be uh, a coach or, or a leader of some of these kinds of events or, or for that matter, take on coaching for other players on your, on your own? I mean, I, I think so. It's not something I've really tried so much. So, I mean, there's been a few players that I've, you know, maybe you can say mentored in a way, but certainly not coached. It's yeah. more just about sharing experiences and sharing, you know, cause you know, if they're 
yeah, if they're going through this, some of the same things that I had as a, a junior player, I can I can talk to them about that. But yeah, yeah, I think I think this is all what does help in the future make yeah. a, a a coach that's quite valuable is is these experiences. You know, you feel like you've been through different situations and you've seen different things and seen it materialize, and you can maybe impart some of that help on someone else. But ultimately you know, I think coaching is an art on its own. I feel like, you know, that, that takes work and practice. So just because I've been through it doesn't mean I'm going to be able to relate it to everybody. That's for sure. For you having won it at literally the highest level of the sport now, um, and then, you know, seeing other players who've had that success, is there actually a, a difference in how you observe the game, how you actually like critically analyze your yourself when you watch yourself play um, on tape or for that matter when you're watching other top top players play do you just have to have a, a slightly different kind of analysis of it to to maintain that success yeah I, I do and I, I think the biggest thing I will say is I've realized how important the sort of intangible things are in tennis it's and I'm sure in every sport too because I've, I've tried to pick at it in other sports too it's not the stroke production or the or the actual playing of the point but it's like you know what how do you how do you behave how do you act on the court how do you sort of put yourself in a, in a position to to play your best what's your energy like what's your enthusiasm like sort of like what's your vibe that you're showing off to the other player you know and I think that that's not just sport I think that's probably all areas of life like what what kind of demeanor do you exude a lot of times has an effect on not only you but your you know competition if, if it was such a situation so I feel like those are the kinds of things that I see more now and I, I, I realize the importance of and I enjoy seeing that in other people, other players, other other sports. And I think that's a big factor in a lot of times who wins and loses at the highest level, consistently at least. Well, uh, in many ways, just like child rearing, it comes down to temperament, it looks like. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you, you know, one last thought, and, and that is, you know, there's certainly a lot of tennis to still play and and your career is, has been so successful so far, but how would you, at the end of the day, perhaps describe what you're most proud of when it comes to your off-court legacy? Oh, good, good question. I didn't think you were going, going there with that. Um, I, I guess, like I said before, it's sort of like what we first touched on. You know, I'm, there's not many like me in the sense of uh, a first-generation Indian or, or American athlete of Indian heritage, I should say. And so the fact that if I could have been something of a a trailblazer as a, as someone who, you know, other players or other people from sports or other athletes looked up and say, Oh, there's that tennis player who came from a similar background that, that did pretty well. And, and that means that, you know, I have a shot at this or a source of inspiration for anyone like that. I think that would be the thing that I'm the most proud of is I was, I was able to um, sort of, yeah, hopefully forge, forge ahead a new path for people that uh, that could take sports more seriously. Because look, even if you don't become a professional at it, it, it sports is something I think that can teach you so much and, and give you so many so many lessons and, and so many great memories and relationships for the rest of your life. And I think if, if there's other, you know, Indian American kids that take it up because, you know, I played at a decent level, I think that's great. I think that's probably the thing that I'm the, the most proud of is that if that happens, um, I, I would I would think that was pretty awesome. Well, it's a, a lot of awesomeness for all of us to be inspired by and to um, certainly revel in your success, you know, with lots and lots of more success to hopefully come. Rajiv, thank you so much for joining us and what a treat. I hope we'll be able to visit with you again. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I know you guys have had some great guests um, on your show, so it's certainly a pleasure to be part of that. 
Thanks again, Rajiv. And thanks, Ed, for making my 5K run happen, slow and steady. And staying on theme, congrats to longtime Dodger Dusty Baker. Remember, civic engagement doesn't end with your vote, so stay active and informed. Till next time, I'm Abhay Darnika.